Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey everybody, it's Ryan Leaf and you're listening to the LA Chargers podcast here on Believe, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network. The only place with a show for every LA team. Well, it kind of feels like Christmas, maybe even better than Christmas, because it's the week of the NFL draft. He's Ryan Leaf. I'm Mike Davis. And Ryan, you know, I know I get giddy every time of year around this time. What about you? What kind of emotions do you get draft time? Yeah, it's uh, for a long time, you know, the uh, emotions were really negative. They were really toxic. I mean, you still get the the differences. And I, and I had a good conversation the other day with somebody about it that, uh, you know, USA Today came out with the um, hundred biggest draft busts of all time, and I'm I'm at the top of the list. So, for the longest time, it it, it affected me in a very negative way, and now I just I, I got into a place where it, it none of it matters because it, it has no effect on my life right now. So that's the big difference. I'm super excited when this time of year comes around because I know how it's going to change people's lives. And, and, and how a bunch of these guys on Thursday night are going to have their dreams come true. Uh, many of us football players that, that have the opportunity to get drafted in the first round in the NFL draft, this has been a dream of ours since we were, since we can remember. Right. And, and Thursday night will be the, the accumulation, uh, accumulation of, of all that hard work um, coming to, to fruition and, and being part of the NFL. So you've and, come to really appreciate, you know, the fact that, it's such a huge accomplishment. You were the second pick of the NFL draft. I mean, that's a huge thing. It is. It's giant. It's the 1% of the 1%. And I can't imagine what, how, how even more analytical you get into when you're talking about first round draft picks and, and to give some people some perspective out there. I'm from the state of Montana and there is never, there's never been a first round draft pick. Uh, into the NFL draft from the state of Montana ever. I am the only one. So it, there, there's been more first-round draft picks in the Manning family than the <laughs> whole state of Montana ever. So it's it, you really take a look at that. But for the longest time, I just saw it as such a negative because of how I viewed my career having, uh, having played out. I played four years in the NFL, which is also um, better than average. The average length of an NFL career is 2.8 years. I just... I started to believe what everybody else was saying. And that was that I was a bust and that I was a failure. And none of those are true. I mean, in the terms of the definition, um, I didn't pan out for the San Diego chargers. And that is why that's there. But I never hear um, my peers and my fellow legends in the NFL use those types of words. Cause we know how hard it was. And it took me some time and some perspective of spending time with guys like that who could really give me a better reference point to what I was feeling and what I should be feeling. Right. And, and, and that's what it's a completely different platform I'm standing on than you. But it's so great because now you're working with the NFL. And I know last year you mentioned in a lot of interviews, you were helping a lot of these prospects in the draft process and in the during the combine throughout that time one of the guys that you were very high on who you said asked a lot of questions was a guy named Patrick Mahomes and that name <laughs> means a lot 
<laughs> it means uh, something different from back then till to where we stand today because that guy really is something. So, you know, our job on this podcast is really to focus on the Chargers and, and dissect what they could be doing uh, throughout the entire year. So we're, we're really going to do a deep dive in the draft today, everything Chargers related. And to me, Ryan, you know, it's such a fascinating spot that the Chargers are in because, listen, they were 12-4. and four last year I mean they lost to the Chiefs the Rams the Broncos and the Ravens and they looked like such a complete team and then all of a sudden they get to this AFC divisional game and it's just a beatdown that the the Patriots delivered I mean the 35 to 7 going into halftime so I think I'm curious you know where the Chargers stand Tom Telesco the GM Right now, it's it's kind of about negotiating this window of opportunity to win now because you do have such a complete roster. But at the same time, you got to think towards the future. So what do you think's going on at the Chargers complex right now? Because there's a lot of stuff to think about. Well, yeah, there there is. Um, one of the biggest issues, I think, with the Chargers here in Los Angeles has been, uh, you know, the transition and they're kind of a an organization without a home. They got placed in a in a soccer stadium that only holds about thirty thousand, twenty eight thousand fans. And I thought it was going to be a great opportunity for them to build kind of a niche uh, following, and and that just hasn't happened. In fact, it's been more um, opposing teams fans that show up for the games, and it's been very difficult. They were better on the road a year ago than they were at home. In fact, the biggest loss. A year ago came in late in the year when Baltimore came to town and played on a on a Sunday night and um, and and upset them. And that knocked them out because they would end up tying Kansas City uh, for the AFC West title, but losing in the tiebreaker. And that meant that as a 12 and four team, they would have to go on the road in week one all the way across the country to a rematch with Baltimore and a physical tough game. They found a way to win, but then to go home, have to turn around and go all the way back out to Foxborough and do it again against arguably the, the best team in the AFC, that that uh, presented problems. If, if the, if the uh, rules were that, that you just went by record, they wouldn't have been in that position and not by divisional win uh, situation. So they, they, they're good enough to be there. The question is, and which is going to be the most difficult part of all this, is that the best team for the foreseeable future, it looks like in the AFC is in their conference and they have to play them twice a year. And that's with Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas city chiefs. So it's going to have to go through there. It's a much younger talented version of what maybe the Los Angeles chargers are right now. Um, I think they are as talented as any team out there. My only question is what happens when uh, you have to win another big game at home. And uh, they just haven't been able to do that. I don't know what, what that home field advantage looks like for them. Um, we know on the road they can be pretty much as dominant as anybody. But when push comes to shove into a playoff situation, uh, they, were, they were firmly overwhelmed in that game against New England. Of course, uh, New England went on to, to win the Super Bowl and probably play their best football uh, of the year in their last three games of the year uh, by far. Right. And they, I mean, Belichick always has them peaking at the right time. So what I what I want to know is, do you think Philip Rivers can win a Super Bowl with the Chargers? Is he capable of that? Yes, definitely. Philip Rivers is 
very capable of winning a, a, a Super Bowl for the for the Chargers. He is in that same uh, recruiting class or draft class as Eli Manning and Ben Roethlisberger. Um, he probably sits in the middle of the three in terms of ability to win a championship. I think most people think Ben Roethlisberger still has it in him in, in Pittsburgh. Otherwise, you know, he probably would have been the one that was ushered out rather than a couple of their best skill players over the last two years in Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown. But, but what Phillip Rivers is able to do is he makes that whole team better offensively. He, he's accurate. Uh, he knows what he's doing offensively. Uh, they have to be better at running the football. Melvin Gordon is a great piece, but when push came to shove, uh, they abandoned the running game. Well, it was pretty easy to abandon it when they're down 35 to seven. You can't do much with that, but the running game is going to, when the, when they were really good at the beginning of the year and Melvin Gordon and Philip Rivers were both being considered MVP candidates. That's where they were the most explosive. Right. And, and you got to think, injury. you got to know nine carries for 15 yards for Melvin Gordon in that divisional game. They, the Chargers only rushed the ball 10 times. So it, it, I think being from, you know, fighting from behind plays a big role in that. But another big thing is Sony Michelle run, he rushed for 105 yards on 16 carries just in the first half. So stopping the run was another big issue for this team, which it seemed like they have such a complete uh, defensive uh, squad. But I guess that defensive tackle position really could be an area of need, especially in that first round. And that's that's what seems like a lot of chatter is uh, being talked about in terms of what they can do at that 28 pick. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think they... They have unbelievable pass rushers and who can and can tee off on the quarterback, and that's what made them so successful on defense, I think. Uh, with the addition of with the addition of Derwin James back there on the back end uh, has been huge uh, for them. Um, so I, I find that if they can establish more of a, a run stopper in the middle, um, the great thing about this draft, and I've talked to a, a lot of analysts about this draft in particular, and uh, one of the greatest statements I've heard is that if every team were to draft only a defensive player, so if, if every team in the in the 32 draft picks of the first round just picked a defensive player, they told me even at 32, the New England Patriots would also get a game-changing defensive player. So that, that tells me how deep this defensive draft is, and I suspect that the Chargers are going to use it on a defensive interior lineman to try to shore up that exactly, to stop the run, uh, be more physical, allow for those pass rushers that are so dangerous on the edges to get around and make plays when they do get into the passing game. But stopping the run is, run is going to be very, very important for them to be successful and have a successful year as they did a year ago. Right. Now, you uh, watch a ton of college football. You have a show focused on the Pac-12 uh, Pac conference. Um, is there a particular guy at 28 defensive tackle-wise that you would just – be ecstatic about if the if he landed on the chargers well i think there's a lot to choose from it just depends on what teams are going to move or where they're going to move and how they're going to go about doing things um you know i i think that you could look pretty much along the whole defensive front of clemson and, and take right. kind of take a pick there um uh, but i think you're looking for a guy that's going to be somebody that doesn't necessarily make a lot of plays for you but takes up space I think that's a huge part of it. A lot of people don't realize um, 
what some of these defense defensive tackles do in particular or one technique on the defensive front or maybe even a nose tackle and a three four look is to really take up maybe two guys double teams allow for those linebackers free passage to the running back to the quarterback things of that nature to scrape and stuff like that so sometimes it's not necessarily a guy with a lot of stats um sacks tackles for loss but more about what he's able to do uh up front in that type of scheme. I got you. So let me ask you this, because, you know, you're going to have someone sandwiched in between Bosa and Melvin Ingram. So, you know, the two guys you were alluding to from Clemson are Dexter Lawrence and Christian Wilkins. So Dexter Lawrence, that's a big boy. You know, he's 6'4", 342 pounds, but he's more of, you know, a run-stop guy than a pass-rush kind of guy. So you're saying that that defensive tackle position, getting a guy who, who might not even be as strong at rushing, rushing the passer, it's okay because you're sandwiched in between those guys and stopping the run and just having a big body there, that's, that's enough. Yeah, sometimes that, sometimes that spot needs to be a guy that just takes up two bodies, right? If you can take up two offensive linemen, which allows your, quarter, uh, your, your, your linebackers to get to the quarterback and more importantly get to the running back, um, that, that's huge. And you've done your job, and, and it's a tough, it's a tough ask. And when you can find those types of guys, and the one you mentioned a little bit earlier, Dexter Lawrence did exactly that at Clemson. Now, of course, there's some some rumblings over the red flags uh, of him testing positive for a banned substance and missing both the uh, college football playoff and the national championship. Um, clearly, it's not going to be an issue um, with any NFL team after passing his drug test at the combine and the process and. It's, it's had to have been very strenuous and, and stringent going through. Um, if he's available, if he's available at 28, it wouldn't surprise me if the Chargers scoop him up. Right, right. That makes a lot of sense to me. Now, one of the other things that didn't make as much sense to me, and I'm curious what you think about this, there was a, a few rumblings about trying to pair another safety with Derwin James. You know, the Chargers hit on such an incredible player with James last year, but there's been actually some talk about – trying to pair him with another safety in that, with that first round selection. What do you think about that? Well, you can always, you know, they're essentially the quarterbacks of the defense, like the back end. Right. And a lot of, a lot of defensive coordinators that like to build their defenses from the back end up, you know, with a safety, but usually they can do it with one guy, Uh, a, a strong safety that, that is instrumental, not only in the pass game, but in the run game. And Derwin James has been that. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if they looked somewhere in round two at 60 or maybe even round three at 91 looking for that guy. I think they probably could find him. But if you're going to go defense, you have to go to the front, I think, because that's ultimately at the end of the end of the day. They went out. They just came out and ran the football right down the throat of, of Los Angeles in that divisional playoff game. And from a team that didn't necessarily do that all year, Sony Michelle really came into his own late in the year, and it's because – you know, they continue to push it, you know, and they, and they drove the ball down the football field, put them in a position to, to lead by such a number that, that Los Angeles was, had no chance of coming back in that, in that football game. And, and if you're looking at spots to do that, um, I love the idea of having a guy take up two people and allow those pass rushers to get in and make plays and, and linebackers to scrape, to, to chase down a Patrick Mahomes who's running out of the pocket. I think that's a, that's a big step for them. And they got to think about, having to face Kansas City twice a year. Right, right. Now, the thing is, you know, Kansas City, they're going to be a lot of firepower. But, I mean, I really think losing D Ford and 
Justin Houston. I mean, that's those are big losses. And, you know, the Chargers also added Thomas Davis. You know, that's a veteran presence who can really play some football. So I, I really think that the Chargers are still in this window where they can really – I think they can really compete for a Super Bowl. I really do. I mean, Rivers is 37, though. So from your perspective, where do you – where do you see him starting to decline? I mean, when can when would you anticipate that if you're Tom Telesco right now? Well, you know, his arm strength has always looked a little different. It really seems like he pushes the football, but he is his ability to be accurate uh, has astonished me over time on the way he throws the football. It's not, it's not the traditional sense of how a quarterback throws, but I didn't see anything last year, even late in the year, that showed me there was a decline. Now, hey from season to season, things can change. You get older, you don't train, you train a little differently. Things happen. But for me, I, I, I don't, I have a lot of faith in what Philip Rivers is going to bring to the table this season. Um, my big question mark is, are they going to be able to run the football? Is Mike Williams going to be Mike Williams was in, in games like against Kansas city or late in the years, or are he going to be a guy that, that disappears again? Uh, you know, uh, the addition of, uh, of uh, Hunter Henry at, at, at tight end. I mean, they missed him a yeah. ton last year. Antonio Gates had to come back and fill in and did an admirable job. But if you remember, you know, he was the one that coughed it up against Baltimore that ultimately cost them the number one seed in the AFC playoffs, which could have made this a completely different story, right? We could have been talking about the Chargers playing um, playing the Rams, uh, all, yeah. LA Super Bowl, all LA Super Bowl a, a year ago. So, you know, we're – we're in that spot. I do not feel like there has been enough, um, you know, dis- like his ability hasn't hasn't gone down enough for me to think that they uh, they're in trouble there. Now, I do think they have to probably find a quarterback um, soon that's going to be a, the next franchise quarterback for them. I know Tyrod Taylor's in place to be his backup, and I think that's a great fit for them. If, if Philip has to take some downtime or, or, or rest or, or is hurt in some kind of games, but there has to be a point with this team moving forward that they're going to have to find the next franchise quarterback. They've had this great luxury of having Philip Rivers for such a long time since Drew Brees uh, opted out and, and uh, left as a free agent to go to New Orleans. They've been really blessed with that, especially how, um, you know, how, how, turbulent it had been at the quarterback position previously uh in particular and even in my tenure there so uh, this has been special for them but yeah. they're going to have to find a guy to replace philip rivers at some point i don't necessarily know if this is the draft for it but a year from now you got a young man coming out of oregon you got two uh, two years from now you got a guy coming out of clemson and trevor lawrence that's right around the corner there and maybe they can stockpile some picks because i think they're going to be a good team i don't think they're going to be drafting in the top 10 of the draft anytime soon. No. Now, interestingly enough, according to ESPN's Adam Schefter, the Chargers, the Giants, and the Dolphins are actually the front runners to land Josh Rosen. So let me get your thoughts just on Rosen as a player right now. What you saw from him, is that somebody the Chargers should be targeting? I mean, I, I would, tar- yes, I think he's very capable of, uh, of, of, becoming a a very good NFL quarterback um my only question is when it comes to the Chargers is that you have something really good in place right now and what are you willing to give up for that now if it isn't if it isn't that much I can understand doing it but I also don't know 
how well Philip Rivers would feel like he was in the mold to transition a guy to take over his spot. I don't know about that. Philip Rivers reminds me a lot of Kurt Warner in the sense of just a competitor. And I remember when, when, when Eli Manning showed up in New York and it was supposed to be kind of like usher in the new guard, Kurt Warner wasn't having it, <laughs> you know, he went on to Arizona well, and he was, well, supposed to do, he was supposed to do the same thing for Matt Leiner right. and Kurt Warner wasn't having it. Well, let me ask you I this, though, because you, you've alluded to in interviews, I mean, you were in a training camp battle with Jim Harbaugh, the ultimate competitor, and you said that was a guy who he was battling you. He wanted that job, but then once you got it, he really became one of the best teammates you could have. So do you think Philip would be capable of understanding seeing that a little bit down the road? I mean – especially if they brought in Rosen, you would think management would have to express to Rosen, listen, we got a good thing in place here. Could you take your ego out of it for a second and listen to this? I mean, I know you're cracking up because that's just not how it works. You know, that's, that's, that's not, that's not how it works in this league. The egos, uh, they don't go away. They're forced out. And so I don't necessarily know if it'd be a great fit, but they're going to have to do it. So if they could get Josh Rosen at a steal, maybe like, you know, that third round, the 91st pick, that might be a, a, a talking point. I know that Arizona's um, wants more, but they're running out of time for their leverage to be anywhere near where it needs to be. Because once they draft Kyler Murray, one overall, all that leverage goes away. Teams are not going to be offering seconds or thirds or, or maybe even fourths. Right. Um, and let's just be you know, clear. I mean – we love – I think Kyler Murray is really great. I think you, you've you stated that you think he's obviously the top guy here. But if Rosen was coming out this year, it, how close is he to Kyler in terms of being the top pick? And does he really distinguish himself from those other guys like, you know, Locke, Jones, Haskins, all those guys? You know, let me be clear. I, I don't I don't think that Kyler Murray is the top guy. I, I oh, think you Dwayne don't? Haskins. No, I think Dwayne Haskins is the top guy. I think Kyler Murray's going number one. In fact, I know he's going number one. Um, they've already started negotiating a contract there. The thing is, though, they went all in on Cliff Kingsbury. And when you do that, you don't saddle him with a quarterback that doesn't fit what he does. I mean, you, you take a coach who was fired from a uh, his college alma mater because of not being successful, and then you make him a head NFL football coach. That means you're all in on the guy and what he does and what he brings to the table, and it's a hybrid of the air raid offense. So that means you need a quarterback to fill that mold, and Josh Rosen isn't the guy that fills that. Kyler Murray is. Dwayne Haskins isn't the guy that fills that. That's why he fits in at number one. Now, if to be honest with you, if Arizona could find a way to move back in the draft, um, I don't know necessarily know if any other team would draft Kyler Murray because he fits with what Cliff Kingsbury wants to do. I don't think you can take that chance, but – um, I, I definitely think Kyler Murray is the guy in the spot. I think Josh Rosen was coming out this year. I think he would be very at the very top once again. With the teams that are drafting, I don't know if he goes number one, of course, because of Arizona where they're at. But uh, I definitely think if the Giants were at six this year and Josh Rosen was available, they'd take him, which means to me that if they can offer a third-round draft pick to Arizona when it gets tight before the draft, Gettleman's going to win in all sense of the word if he can get that done because not only will he get the quarterback he probably should have got a year ago, yeah. plus the running back that he did get who was offensive rookie of the year, then at number six grab a defensive lineman like Montez Sweat 
And at 17, if Andre Dillard from Washington State is still available, you've only added not only your quarterback of the future, you have your running back, and then an offensive and defensive lineman that can anchor both those sides of the football for years to come. Gettleman could win this draft like nobody's business if he does it the right way. I just don't know if uh, if he's willing to, to part with, with whatever he needs to for Josh Rosen, and uh, we'll see how it plays out. But if, if the Chargers can find a way to get him for a cheap price, which is amazing to think that you could – have a guy drafted in the top 10 a year ago, um, you know, be driven off the lot, losing all that, uh, all that value so quickly. Um, that, that would, that would be an interesting play for the charges if they're able to make that happen. Yeah. So let's just say that option is out the window. If they're in the range where they could start really considering guys like Locke Jones and Haskins, Break down those guys. I, uh, Haskins, to me, I mean, I don't under – it's a guy who threw 50 touchdowns in the Big Ten. I mean, seems like a pretty pretty promising player. What about Locke and Jones? How do you see their careers kind of panning out? I, I don't know if this, this draft is, is, is stocked with quarterbacks, but I also didn't necessarily think last year's was that impressive either, yet, you know, five were taken in the first round. So – General managers always are fearful of missing out. They just are, and and they have to take a chance. And if they're going to take a chance, it's going to be on a quarterback because with the rookie salary cap, you're able to miss on a guy, and it doesn't uh, impact your organization for years and years to come. So I, I think that Dwayne Haskins is at the very forefront for all the reasons you said, you know, big, strong pocket passer. Even though the game is changing a little bit in terms of what the quarterback position looks like. You look back and, and see the quarterbacks that are playing in the Super Bowl year in, year out, and guess what? They're traditional pocket passers. They just are. Jared Goff, Tom Brady this year in the in the NFL Super Bowl. So that's that's where they're going. Dwayne Haskins fits that mold, fits it perfectly. So I don't know why he wouldn't be the first quarterback drafted. Um, accurate. The big takeaway in what I'm hearing is, is a little – his mobility might be an issue, which I don't think is going to be a problem at all but also the fact that he hasn't started enough games. Right. He's only started for one season where you have Drew Locke, who started for uh, like eight years at Missouri, and um, Daniel Jones has done the same, um, and it was coached by a guy who's mentored, what, two of the greatest NFL quarterbacks to play, right, Peyton Manning and Eli Manning. So that's why I think their names get a, a, a – the fact that they're moving so far up in the draft has surprised me a lot. I think Dwayne Haskins going the other way has been uh, a bunch of – um, maybe smoke because I really think he's still going to be a guy that's drafted in the top 10, either a team moves up to get him or, or somebody uh, takes a chance and, and, and grabs him before anybody else does. Cause I, I just can't see him dropping. I like Will Greer maybe late in the first yeah. uh, or in the second round um, for somebody. Um, it, it might be pretty interesting um, on how that plays out, but those are the four quarterbacks really uh, four or five quarterbacks that are, that are people talking about. I don't, I don't quite see what people see in Daniel Jones, um, I see Peyton Manning and Eli Manning in mechanics. That's I, I see that, and if that's that's good enough for you, um, I, I guess someone's going to take a chance. That for me is if, you're, if your ability is to be a top ten draft pick at the quarterback position, I'd want to see more dominance at Duke. I don't care if it's Duke. Yeah. I'd want to see uh, uh, more wins than what he was able to put up. That just that's just for me. Uh, similarly to what I thought about Josh Allen a year ago, and and. Uh, um, and how he performed against really good football teams, but yet still was a top 10 draft pick by the Buffalo Bills. So we'll see how it all plays out. I'm really interested to see how this Arizona thing plays out, but uh, 
I think whoever gets a chance uh, to pick up Dwayne Haskins is going to have their franchise quarterback for the foreseeable future. Okay. You heard it from Ryan. Now, you know, one of the, to me, the hardest position to play in professional sports is quarterback. And you did it at such a high level. If you're a GM this week of the NFL draft, what are the types of attributes, qualities, things that would be major turn-ons for you while looking at some of these projects, prospects and, and some major turn-offs? Because I'm always curious about that, and you would know better than anyone. For me, yards per attempt is, is always huge uh, for me in terms of, of a statistic if you're looking at uh, analytics. Um, uh, you know, and, and, and I go, I'm, I'm a measurement guy. I look at, I look at things that are, that are set in terms of uh, height and uh, explosiveness and things like that. So um, it's always kind of a crapshoot. It depends on, of course, where you go. I think that's always lost in the shuffle. A lot of people, you know, a lot of times you can't be the guy that changes the environment. You have to go to a place and just kind of kind of meld into the environment it's it's rare to see it happen uh, those are unique individuals baker mayfield for one right i mean he went into an environment that was coming off an 0 16 season right so he had to be essentially the the piece that 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 changed the environment and he did so like he became the the environment itself and people adapted to him so you gotta i don't know if there's um a quarterback that that is like that in this year's draft probably kyler murray um, because of where the possibility of him going, that would completely change the environment of what an offense in Arizona would look like. So it, it's always about a fit on where you go to, because that's even more important than probably where you go in terms of where in the draft. Of course. And following your story, I mean, there were so many hiccups upon your arrival to the Chargers. I mean, just think about it. Your, your head coach is fired in week five. You know, the other quarterback on the roster with you is a guy I've never heard of named Craig Wheelahan. You could have had a guy like Warren Moon there. That's why, to me, if you have such a complete roster like the Chargers do, your starting quarterback is 37. And at that second-round pick at number 60, you really could get a defensive tackle that falls to you that's pretty legit. I mean, if there's a quarterback you're in love with, it's a nice situation for a young prospect to, to walk into. I know if I, if I was a quarterback in the draft right now, that, that's a good destination to me, L.A. Chargers. It is. I mean, they, you, could look at a, you could look at the blueprint from the Kansas City Chiefs, right? They moved up in the draft to grab a guy named Patrick Mahomes that no one thought was supposed to be in that high of the, the first round, and it was probably the best thing they can imagine. Not only did they do that, but then they sat him on the bench and let him learn from a veteran like Alex Smith for a year, got him a game late in the year to experience it. And Andy Reid saw enough and knew what he had. Um, this is a, this is an opportunity, right? Is there a chance for the Chargers to move up and maybe do something like that? I don't know if there's a quarterback that you would look at, but I know a lot of teams didn't look at Patrick Mahomes the same way uh, that they do now, right? This is, you, you, you're, you're taking a chance with some people uh, on, on some of these things. And, and sometimes they pan out and sometimes they don't. And Patrick Mahomes is a perfect example of something that worked well. So, you know, the Chargers have a lot lot of uh, leeway in what they want to do because they're so darn talented, right? And they went 12-4 and four a year ago. They have a lot of leeway to try to make things a little bit better for them. For me, it's I don't know where they win in all of this because if you get home field advantage for the playoffs, what is that exactly for them? <laughs> it's, it's, 
it's not it hasn't been a home field advantage they've been better on the road that's why i was like okay um you know going on the road in the playoffs isn't going to be necessarily that bad they have to go double three time zone changes um that was just too much to to overcome for them in back-to-back weeks but i don't know what more you can do it, it it's going to have to play out in a way where they they have to show their dominance during the regular season and then follow it up with the postseason play. Yeah. All right. Well, before we wrap this up and get a prediction from both of us on who the Chargers will be taking, I'm curious. You know, you worked so closely with the prospects last year in the combine. From '98 to last year, and and how the the current status of the draft process with the Wonderlick, all that kind of stuff. How how much has really changed? since you were a prospect till today? Well, the combine has gotten more, um, I think more updated in terms of how you interact. Um, and it's really become more of a job interview, like the, the, the most important job interview of your life. And I've seen players more op- uh, opted into working out there. Like they, they, they wanted to compete in my day. You just, you waited to your pro day. You know, Watching Kyler Murray wait uh, and do that for his pro day was was kind of a throwback. We we haven't seen that in a while. We've seen guys who really want to show up and compete. Especially the year I was mentoring the quarterbacks in my group, I had Deshaun Watson, Mitchell Trubisky, Patrick Mahomes, Nathan Peterman, Davis Webb. All those guys in my group that were just they were itching at the opportunity to compete against one another uh, during the combine. So I think that's those are some of the biggest changes uh, over the that time span. I think players and they asked me questions about that right they asked me you know do you think i should be throwing should I, what should i do in the in the agility and, and strength and conditioning type of stuff is that important i mean they, they were asking good questions and i always tell them hey if you if you're a stud at something like in particular to me i was i could jump out of the gym right so i definitely wanted to do my vertical leap for the guys to show how explosive i was and and that paid off for me right yeah that's yeah. those are the type of things that uh that i talked to them about but those are the biggest changes, and I think um, I think people aren't taking what they do with the Wonderlick that that importantly. I mean, you know, what is that the, test, Steven? I don't even know it. What's on that? What do they ask? I can't even remember it. I just know it was. It seemed like a standardized test from high school, preparing for college. You know, I was middle of the road. I think like twenty-seven. Uh, Gardner Minshew this year was was at the very top of the class, besides Ryan Finley at North Carolina State at around forty-two. This year's the lowest Wonderlick with Kyler Murray, so I'm not. I don't read anything into any of that at all um, when it comes to that. But they continue to give it. I mean, that hasn't changed, right? Some things uh, that 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 continue to stay the same is is that testing process. But um, it's gotten bigger. It's gotten to be more of a spectacle. Guys are more prepared. Um, I certainly wasn't prepared because I didn't think I had to do anything. Um, like I said, when I declared for the draft, I was like. You, know, you could hold the draft tomorrow, guys. We know where, we know what this is going to look like in April. You know, there's really no point to do anything else from this point on. <laughs> yeah, well, I wouldn't do so well on that wonder. Like, if it's anything like the SAT, I don't think I would be doing that hot on it. All right, well, let's do this. Let's get a prediction. What, what do you think? 28, who are the Chargers taking? Um, you know, I, I, I don't quite know what they're going to do. Um, I, I do think it's going to have to be on the defensive side of the football, but I have a sneaky suspicion uh, there's going to be some draft day movement, and I think they're going to find a way to move up in the draft and get either um, either make it uh, make a, a play at a quarterback, or it wouldn't even surprise me 
if they utilize that 28th pick to maybe move back in the draft a little bit and take a defensive lineman. And when you talk about the second round uh, and to get some other picks or something else, I don't quite know who that player is. You and I talked about Dexter Lawrence, and I think uh, he's your guy. Um, he would be a solid pick if, if they decide to go with that. I wouldn't fault them for that at all, but I think they could do some interesting things with their pick, in particular in the first round. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.